nerds welcome to episode 496 of the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive uh, just adam for the introduction uh, which will be pretty quick here because we've got a really fun long episode for you uh, today's episode is kind of a replay of the live event we did with ryan lasala over uh, zoom this week as a part of the big library read program uh, we wanted to share it again because it is so funny and so delightful uh, we talk about Reverie, his book. We talk about his next book, Bedazzled. Uh, but we also answer a bunch of questions from the audience. <laughs> and Jill and, and Ryan use tarot to do uh, dream interpretations. And I'm never going to tell all of you not to listen to our podcast. But what I am going to tell you is I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Overdrive's YouTube page. Because they are putting the video up on our YouTube page. And I'm I'm going to tell you to go watch the video version of this if you weren't able to join us because throughout the entire hour-long conversation, Ryan is putting on drag makeup and still answering the questions. And it is so funny and he's so talented. And it's just, it's a visual that you definitely need to see. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who did sign up. We had 1,800 people register for that event, which is unheard of. Um, just a crazy amount of people to attend a Zoom event especially in the middle of the day. So really good stuff. Um, we are going to be doing another one of these with Layla Saad uh, that is coming up next week. So I'll put the link in the show notes for that as well. Um, it's going to be on the 17th, which is Tuesday. I want to let you know, if you sign up for any of our live events like this and you aren't able to attend, that's okay. Sign up anyway, because we will send you a recording of the video um, afterwards, but you have to sign up in order to get that video. So if you can make it live, that's amazing. If you can't, um, but you still want to watch us have these conversations, like the one with Layla coming up on Tuesday, uh, be sure to register. We're in the link in our, uh, our show notes. And then that way you'll get the actual video when everything um, is recorded after the fact. So just a, a nice little tip for you guys. Definitely, I would highly recommend doing that. It's going to be a really, really important conversation. And I'm really excited that Layla uh, wanted to come chat again. So that's coming up. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can, of course, go to professionalbooknerds.com. You can go to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. If you want to email us, um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at probooknerds. And I know that we've been doing a lot of author interviews lately, so I just want to let you guys know. On Monday, it's going to be a big book recommendation episode. Um, I <laughs> guilted our buddy Mallory from Reading Glasses to come co-host with me, and we're going to do a bunch of uh, books that we're looking forward to reading throughout the rest of the year. So if you want to send us an email at professionalbooknerds.overdrive.com, tell me what you've been reading lately. Uh, I'll see if I can make Mallory and myself do some real-time recommendations for you. Okay, that's everything. I'm not going to keep any longer. I hope you guys enjoy this very, very special Big Library Read episode with Ryan Lasala of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you are joining for the first time and you've never heard of Jill or I, we are the co-hosts of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Uh, we're the podcast presented by Overdrive. We put on the big library read, which is what this is all about. Um, shameless plug for us. We do episodes Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe in iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts and hear all sorts of fun stuff like this interview we're going to do with uh, the, the person of the hour, Ryan Lasala, who is the author of Reverie, as well as his new book that's coming out in January, Bedazzled, which we'll get to a bit later. 
Uh, we'll let him do promotion for both of those things. Uh, his book, Reverie, was chosen as the big library read. So last week and this week, basically hundreds of thousands of people all around the world had access to borrow Ryan's book with no wait lists or holds. And now we're going to get all into it. So just to give you a rundown of everything we're going to do, uh, Jill and I are going to first ask him some kind of questions that we thought of and we um, went into. Normally we start with having Ryan introduce the book, but I feel like since we're a weekend a big library, we don't have to spend too much time on that. Um, and then also towards the end, Ryan and Jill are going to do some dream interpreting because they both do tarot. Uh, so Let's see how that, that goes. That'll be fun. We'll see how that yeah, goes. I've got my deck, but I can't promise that I'll remember anything from it. So we're going to be <laughs> so, so when, we get, when we get to that point um we're gonna have sydney and lisa who is managing our chat uh they're gonna turn on the the chat for you guys to go in there and put in your dreams if you would like to have them uh, read by, by ryan and jill uh we're also at the very end of this ryan is going to build a reverie based on some fantasy elements that we're all going to give him in real time so at that point also sydney and lisa will Turn on some uh, turn on the chat again, and we'll let you guys, the audience, uh, give some fantasy tropes that you want Ryan to to build in. Um, and then, are we still doing the big grand finale, Ryan? Yes, we are. I have <laughs> brought many supplies, and so yeah. Do you want me to introduce that? Yeah, absolutely, sure. <laughs> All right. So I uh, I was talking with Adam and Jill about like fun things that we could do, uh, in part because like I miss in-person events. And if anyone has been to an in-person event of mine, I try to make them like really interactive and like sort of theatrical because um, that's just the kind of person I am. So in lieu of that, since I can't be with you guys in the same space, I thought it'd be a fun challenge to, while we were doing this whole q and I'm gonna try to put myself into drag. I'm going to put on my best posy cosplay so that by the time we get to the very end and you guys throw some components at me, um, I can do a uh, my, my best posy impersonation in drag, uh, and we'll see how we'll see how this goes. I have to say right up front, um, I'm not an, a makeup expert at all. I'm not a drag queen by like profession or anything like that. It's just something I really admire, and uh, I thought it'd be a fun a fun challenge to to try while we while we answer questions. So, yeah, I've got all my supplies in front of me, and I'm ready to go. Once you guys let me know we're beginning, it's going to be like a stopwatch situation. I've gotten it down to about thirty minutes, so okay. I can do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, listen, we're going to start asking you questions now, but it's entirely up to you when you want to start. That's true. Doing that kind, you know, you're starting your process. So actually, you know, Jill, do you want to kind of start asking him one of just one of our questions and we'll we'll get in there and then we'll. Yeah, um, I'm actually sort of, you know, curious. Your characters uh, are just like so full. I don't know if I can do that. Like, what? Keep going. Look, yeah. I'm about to no, lose no, all my facial it's fine. <laughs> No, your characters are just like so full of personality and they're so full of life. And I'm curious if you had any that you just had the most fun writing and they were like your favorite to write. Oh, this is the easiest question in the world. My favorite character from Reverie and like aside from Posey, because I think people can sort of tell Posey's like my go-to. I really do love Posey and writing the Posey scenes was the most fun because truly she just doesn't give, you know, two shakes about anybody else except for her. And that's kind of a, that's a very freeing character to write. But my favorite character is Ursula. 
Ursula was actually the very first character in the Reverie universe um, because when I was growing up, I used to really love Xena Warrior Princess and Sailor Moon. And I loved these um, like sort of emblematic uh, heroine type characters that were both super feminine, but also super powerful. And I loved that. And so whenever I was having like a bad day or oftentimes, cause I was the youngest kid in my family, we'd be watching movies that were probably not age appropriate for me and they were too scary. I would always imagine, you know, the the damsel fighting back in the way that like Sailor Moon could and the way that Xena Warrior Princess could. And that's where that's where Ursula comes from. She's sort of that, um, she's a character. She's wrought from the material of um, someone who's super feminine, but also super powerful. Uh, and uh, and she's the most fun to write because, you know, she's always in these like big fluffy outfits, like literally brawling with like dragons and all sorts of mythical beasts. And uh, every reverie, if you notice, like, it's basically me trying to build to an excuse to put her in like that kind of situation because it's the most fun to write. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be the hardest I've ever had to like focus on asking questions. Just watch, I'm like watching you and just enthralled. Oh, were there any you characters? You have to ask them. I have to answer them while we do I, this. That's, <laughs> a, that's fair. Uh, were there any characters that you kind of struggled with writing? Um, let's see. I think Elliot, to be quite honest, Elliot wasn't really a fully formed person until the like very end of the process. In part because Elliot is sort of like, the, he's like the lone like token straight person in this book. And um, it's sort of getting in his head and sort of what he wants was was a, a little bit of a challenge for me, I'll admit. Um, probably Sophia as well, just in part because, you know, she's like the like little kid sister. Um, she's also like very rational. I'm not very rational. And so understanding what like an actual rational person would do as these dreams are bursting from like people's heads was uh, a little a little bit difficult, but hopefully I pulled it off. I think you pulled it off fantastically. Agreed, agreed. Um, so in, you, we should say that you've actually been on our podcast before. You have yeah. spoken with Adam. Yeah. And um, in that first interview, you told Adam that your own reverie would be the cruise ship in space from the book. That's true. Given that the world has kind of gone a little topsy-turvy lately, um, has your personal reverie changed? Hmm. No, I don't think it has. In part because like cruise ships, well, also I should say my idea of a fun time is not a cruise ship. I actually think cruise ships are horrifying. I specifically want a cruise ship in space. That seems like a lot of fun to me. Sort of like if anyone wants a reference point, the fifth element, you remember that cruise ship? That's the one that I think would be a lot of fun. And I think now more than ever, you know, some sort of like some sort of like really fun escape with all of my friends where sort of everything's provided and it's still safe in sort of like a self-contained universe. That sounds better than ever right now. So no, I think my reverie has actually, if anything, become like even more neon in like what I would want to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I also want to point out, um, impossibly that first interview was this year. It was back in January somehow. Is that true? Is that actually true? Yeah, it's it was this year. And um, for anyone who is wondering if Ryan is shy, uh, that night after I interviewed you, you yelled at me at a art museum during an event. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Oh my God, <laughs> that was a great event. It was a beautiful art museum, not the kind of place where I should have been yelled, not the, not the kind of place I should be just in general, but they made the mistake of letting me in and then- it <laughs> so funny. Oh, it was good times. Um, so- when we interview fantasy authors, something yeah. that we always dive into is world building, um, you know, because 
as a fantasy writer, you're given the freedom to build your own rules for the magic and the physics and how everything in the world works in general. For yeah. e- each reverie, those rules are, are different and the action picks up so quickly that, um, you know, is it, was it a challenge for you to think through how to help the reader adjust to those sudden changes or was it more so just like you trusted the reader to trust you, like, I'm going to take you to the right place with this? So there is a little bit of a science to writing a reverie, at least I found. And mind you, this is a book that like, it came from like 10 years of me like noodling around with basically like a, you know, a fiction of what I wanted a book to be, right? Sort of wrote it in response to like a lot of books that I that I didn't really like or that were I was sort of bored by. Um, so as a result, it was like very indulgent and I needed to learn through writing it and through getting like feedback on it that like I couldn't just do whatever I wanted, right? It had, there had to be some, some semblance of reason, right? Um, and even so, I mean, a lot of like the people that respond to this book are like, I was confused <laughs> and I don't blame them because it's sort of, there's a lot going on in it. But the, the science to the, the reveries and sort of the physics within them is that like, I wanted each one to be recognizable to a well-read person, to someone who lives in stories. I wanted each one to sort of begin with like a readily available idea of a story and then quickly warp out of control. Cause oftentimes that's how, that's how dreams feel. At least that's how sort of my dreams feel, right? Like I always sort of begin with something recognizable but quickly, you know, turn into something totally different and often monstrous. And so that's where, um, as I was writing them as, I, as I'm applying like highlight to my chin. Um, that's sort of what I was thinking as I, as I did each one. Although I will say, if there is a world building like standard between all of them, it is the way that like Etheria works and like the, the plot works in each reverie. Each one sort of does need to resolve it like a psychological level before Kane can like resolve it. And that's why, for those who have read it, that's why he, you know, attempts to and cannot resolve Helena's reverie because it is not resolved in her own mind. She She's not ready for that to unravel. She wants it more than he wants it to end. Um, so those things, those were consistent sort of throughout the, the different reveries in the book. Speaking of, were there any reveries you built that did not make it into the final book? Um, yeah, so originally Helena's reverie was very different. It took place at like a, a museum and um, she was a tour guide at the museum who sort of spent all of her time you know, dreaming her way into like the history of the museum. And that's how that came to be. And I shifted it into being more like inspired by a romance novel in part because building a reverie on top of like a historical estate didn't really differ too much from the actual like reality of it, right? Because it was a well-preserved like castle basically. So I was like, I need it to be different. Um, Other reveries that didn't make it in. um, Gosh, there were lots. It's hard to remember all of them. Some of them I hope that I get to use in like, you know, future stories. If like there's a continuation to Reverie, I have a lot of stuff that just didn't make it. Um, And I think the only other thing is that there used to be a lot more plot building to that first one. The one that's like the barbarian and librarian one. There was a whole economy built around like parasitic bugs and like people with like, I don't know, like a lot of like bug friends and eventually my editor Annie was like this is like this is entirely too much bug action going on here we've got to get rid of it and it was like that because that's an actual like the parasite that like that reverie is inspired by is an actual like parasite that replaces the tongue of its host that's a real thing and it happens to fish not to to humans and I hope no one's grossed out by this but I that's like a huge like fear of mine and probably now of yours now that you know about it and so I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be great to sort of base a fear in that. And so there, there was a lot more of like bugs in people's mouths. Ultimately, it's probably good that I got edited out. <laughs> um, for people who are joining like somewhat 
uh, recently because I'm seeing we're getting people <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, just for a reference, Ryan is going to be doing a very fun thing at the end of this. He's not just putting on makeup for no reason. Um, I just, I was, I was, as you're answering that question, I was just thinking of people like logging on in the last like three or four minutes and yeah. being like, what is happening? So that is, that is what's happening. Nothing good. Nothing good. I am so, I'm so angry that I signed up for this. Not this, <laughs> like the, 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 the interview. I'm just angry that I like on our planning call was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I was like getting into like posy cosplay? I don't, I'm not a drag queen. I respect the hell out of drag queens and what they do. And this is not it. You should find a professional if you're interested in drag. You need to not be. And for the record, your idea, not Jill. your idea. No, I know. No, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm full of regret that I was yeah. like, oh, this will be good. I, and I don't even like do makeup often. I had to go out to my local Rite Aid and buy a bunch of makeup and I've just been figuring it out. So, oh, so I'm going to look like a hot mess. I mean, I already sort of look like a cartoon of a person but you know whatever whatever we're just gonna go with it any, any anything for my readers <laughs> there you go um seeing as how you have a character in the book named ursula which you're talking about before yeah and i know jill is also a massive ursula fan from the uh from you know little mermaid mm-hmm. ursula great disney villain or greatest disney villain go ooh, ooh. um i greatest Disney villain. Ursula is the greatest Disney villain and I will tell you why. She got it on paper, you know? No other Disney villain had a contract written up and had someone signed, but Ariel signed her life away. Everything Ursula did was legally condonable. And I actually, you know, I don't know enough about maritime law to really lean into that statement because I guess they are in like a Dutch sea someplace. But I think that I think that Ursula got a really raw deal. Um, she did. Yeah, I think she's wonderful. Also, I just love, she's so Ursula, the Disney villain also, is based on a drag queen named Divine who stars a lot of like John Waters projects too. Um, and is sort of a lot of people's first like brush with drag, even if they don't know it, cause they are sort of watching this like heightened, like fully bodied person like slink and slide around. And that's like, that's what drag shows are oftentimes like. And that's why I loved her. When I was younger, I used to make my parents stop in every sort of like garden store because I really wanted a bird bath just like hers even though it's a cauldron, it looks like a bird bath where she like does her potions. So I used to like go in and like look for bird baths that I could like bring home and like cast spells in. Man, if I was prepared somewhere on the shelf, somewhere is an Ursula Funko, uh, Funko Pop. I'm just her. not sure where she is, <laughs> but she's up there somewhere. You guys agree or disagree? Do you think Ursula is the, the best oh, or? She's the best. She did get a raw deal. Um, yeah. She is the true, you know, icon and heroine of that entire story yes because you'll <laughs> sign to the contract yeah signed contract. she signed her name she signed the contract ursula just held her to her end of the bargain and then look what happened so i mean you could make a case that vanessa ursula's alter ego meddled in the contract but i'm not i'm not here to i'm not here to help ariel side of things she's it was probably girl. in the fine print though so if ariel didn't read the fine print yeah that's on her it's like the equivalent of when people get mad that their iphone can track their every movement but it literally read those terms and conditions read the terms and conditions and also i i don't see you getting mad when your gps tells you exactly when to turn right or left like there's a that doesn't stop just because you want it to stop yeah ursula was a big tech port and you're right she's yeah, thank you. a harbinger of, a, of silicon valley taking over our lives i like that link that's absolutely crazy but okay. you, knew, you knew exactly what i was getting at and you know that yeah um so actually we have a few more questions but there are, there are a ton. absurd amount coming in from the audience so we're just going to ask 
let's just go into theirs. They're so probably Joe, better I'm, than ours anyway. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we're on uh, Jill. I'm, I just pulled up the Q and A, so we can just kind of go through those. Um, so this one is from Allie. I'm gonna I'll withhold last names just to be safe. Uh, Reverie seems to be really in conversation with the Magicians by Lev Grossman. Can you talk a bit about its influence on you in writing this book, especially in terms of centering gay and queer characters? So The Magicians is actually something that came into my radar after um, I got an agent. It was my agent, Veronica Park, who was the one that mentioned to me that Reverie really felt like something um, out of like that world. And and so I read it and I, I'm a very slow reader. It takes me a very long time to read really anything. But I read that book in like a weekend while I was at Disney World. Like I was like holding it while walking around Disney World because I thought it was just so engrossing because I just loved, and this is also something that I love about, you know, Reverie and sort of the, the experience of writing it. I just love writing sort of a realistic reaction to what magic might be like for people that are, um, you know, like right, right before college, like, right, like if you sort of had to, had to battle with like a, a magical world popping up, like what would that be like? And I love the tone of that. Um, it's sort of the, the maturity that um, Love Grossman approaches that with. But I also love the, the, the notion of like, and if you haven't read The Magicians, this, this will spoil it for you a little bit, but like, you know, that stories could be real places and that if you were dropped into the middle of one and you sort of had to abide by like those laws, like what would you do coming out of like our reality? Because our our world is also a construct. It's constructed by somebody else. So we're sort of used to that in one way, but if that all changes and we're still the same person, you know, what do we have to do and who do we have to become? And that's something that a lot of queer people do every single day. From a very young age, a lot of queer people have to understand that you're gonna walk into a space and very immediately, you're gonna have to pick up on the things of that space, sort of the rules and the laws of that reality. And you're gonna have to adapt. You don't know who you are in a space until that space interprets you. If you're a queer person, if you're, you know, if you're very flamboyant like me, right? Like you don't really understand if you're welcome or not until the world reacts to you. And that's something that um, is a big part of Reverie. That's something that I really liked about The Magicians. Um, and uh, and yeah, I actually, I have to finish reading that series. I haven't gotten through all of it yet, but I really like the show. I love the like open queerness. I love like the the modality of queerness as not just like this like precious cinnamon roll thing. I love that like, I think the character's name is Elliot in The Magicians. Like, I just love that he has like an agenda, things to do. Like he's got, you know, sass to him, but he's also got like dreams and vulnerabilities. He's like a fully formed person and that, it's just so rare. So getting to like see that on like the big screen, getting to read it was like, it was a really awesome experience. And I'm so glad that it sort of found my way or found its way to me, um, you know, after I had sort of written Reverie. Uh, that actually kind of falls in line with a question. I think it's from, I think her name is Kamira. Apologize, uh, apologies if I mispronounce that. Um, but they ask, I love the LGBTQ representation. Are you interested in writing more books with LGBTQ characters? Um, yeah, the short answer is I think I will only ever be writing books with LGBTQ characters. As a queer person myself, that's my default. Um, my friends are queer as well. And so, of course, I want to always represent a diversity of, um, of characters and the things that I write. But ultimately, when I'm thinking of characters that I want to lead, um, that I want to sort of center in stories, they're always going to be queer in some variety. I don't know if they're always going to be, you know, as gay as Cain throwing little rainbows out of their hands, but but I have to assume I have to assume that he's probably like the end of that spectrum. But there will be there will be people sort of in between. That's fantastic. Um, okay, so we've got the we've got, we're getting this question in a whole bunch, and Sydney has begged me to ask it so that people will stop typing it in because they're not seeing everyone else ask it. Uh, will there be a sequel for Reverie? 
Oh, this is a great question. Um, so what I will say, right off the bat, there's nothing planned right now, okay? Um, there's like no books in the works, I'm not writing it yet, but, um, but between me and like, you know, the thousands of people that will watch this, yeah, I think eventually there probably will be. There's a ton more to that world. And Reverie, the book Reverie that you guys have read is sort of just the the very like beginning of this much longer saga that I dreamt up when I was literally, you know, sitting out of gym class as like a little like gay boy in high school. Um, and I would love to tell the rest of it someday. So if it sort of reads like, like I know some people are like, oh, like things don't really resolve at the end. And that's in part because I didn't really want them to. I wanted to leave a ton open-ended um, in order to have a ton of strings to pick back up when I eventually do get back into it. And yeah, so between me and you know you guys, I do think that eventually there will be more to that story. Although I don't know when, and I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. It's not you know not an immediate future thing. It's fair. Yeah. Uh -huh. Even if I was like you know, there's so many secrets in publishing. Like I could be lying to you. You would never know. Like, I practically probably couldn't tell you if even if there was. So that is true. That yeah. is true. Um, Deborah had a question that I also wanted to know, which was I'm she wants to know I'm curious how much editing and rewriting went into the book. Did it go through many extensive revisions or is it pretty close to your initial vision? Um, so the fun fact about Reverie is that it sold. So my uh, my editor Annie bought it or she said she wanted to buy it. And I, one of the conditions for buying it was I was like, I actually want to make a bunch of changes. Cause while it had been out on submission, I had had all this like inspiration. And like, for instance, like the gemstone creatures, they weren't in the, the version of the book that like got picked up. There was something that I thought of after. And there was a bunch of other things like that where I was like, oh, this would really be awesome to include. And so I actually rewrote it <laughs> um, right before it became like uh, an actual like acquisition. Or actually, so no, sorry, it got purchased and I rewrote it and then it got edited. So yeah, I would say that there were quite a few <laughs> things that had to like change leading up to it. And I'm also someone like I'm changing things right until the very last second. I, I'm like a, a, a chronic reviser. And so things need to be taken out of my hands in order to sort of get me to, to stop doing them. So yeah, there were there were a lot of rounds of edits, especially, you know, a book that you write over the course of, of 10 years is going to change pretty significantly. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, someday, not soon, but someday I think I'll be ready to kind of go into like my archives from like, you know, 2009 when I was like first starting this and I would love to see what that was like because it feels like six or seven books ago that I was sort of starting out with like these characters. Um, oh, here's a quick one for Jill and I. Is your podcast on Spotify? Yes, it is. Professional Book Nerds. You can find yeah, it there. They're um, wonderful. Uh, okay, so this one is from Amy and it kind of gets to another thing I want to ask you about, which is good. Um, Amy asks, is The Witches by Roald Dahl one of your favorite books? P.S. Jazz Hands. P.S. Jazz Hands. It does say that. I love yeah. that. Yes, yes. Postscript Jazz Hands. That's what I would say. I was like Benjamin Franklin. Um, post haste Jazz Hands. So the, the Witches is a book that I have a complicated relationship with. I don't love Rodol's legacy. Um, he was not a great person, um, but the witches and the reason the witches is in reveries because I love like witches and the idea of them. And I also love like the idea of these like incredibly powerful women that have pursuits of their own and are not really like hemmed in by like the expectations of like reality and um, specifically the reality of men. And that's like, that's actually what Posey says. Like Posey says, the reason we love the witches, you know, or witches in general is because they don't depend on anybody but themselves to kind of do what they need to do. And like, that's really rare in stories about women and stories about femininity really. Um, 
And so that's why that's, I really wanted Posey to kind of include that because Posey is in a way describing herself in that scene. Although, you know, Kane doesn't really know that. So that's kind of why that's in there. Um, Although the actual story, The Witches itself, I could probably take or leave. I will say that that movie, the Angelica Houston version of it is a favorite of mine and scared the bejesus out of me when I was little. Cause it like, this is, this will spoil it for anybody, but like the whole turning children into mice thing, usually in a kid's movie, like, you know, you would turn back, you wouldn't be a mouse forever, but that, that story ends and he is a mouse forever. And that was like, oh, a real repercussion, sort of like my first like flirtation with like a consequence that couldn't be undone just by like goodwill, you know? Um, speaking of the movie, have you seen the new one? No, isn't it? On, is it on Showtime or HBO? I, I feel like it's on oh. something that I just don't have. I think it's HBO. Yeah, it's Jill and I talked about it. it what did? Yeah, what did you guys think? <laughs> I, I will say this: I I do love Angelica Houston. Um, in the original one, she like went for it, and Anne Hathaway went for it. Like mm-hmm. she was not afraid to like go for it and be ugly and just like, yeah. Anne Hathaway consistently goes for I think we need to give Anne Hathaway more credit. There was sort of a period of Hollywood when we didn't like Anne Hathaway and I'm glad it's over because we need to appreciate her. She does a great job. She does. So I did like her. The rest Mm -hmm. of it was, it was okay. And then she dreamed a dream and everyone loved her again. Um, That's when people stopped liking her. She won an award for that and she gave her like theater kid. Everyone realized she was a theater kid. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. They were like, we thought you were cool because of the Devil Wars Prada. And then she like admitted to actually really liking musicals. And they were like, you're a nerd. We can't. Right. So I was like, wait, (laughs) that's me. Um, Okay. So this one is from Allie. And I want to actually, Allie said something really nice about an event too that now I is gone forever so I'll just ask her question as I scroll through and look for it so sorry Ali I'm gonna find that uh what place do dreams have in your personal life and what is the most powerful dream you've ever had and why so three questions that's a good job of typing everything into one. Oh my god that that's that is that's like an essay right like that's an essay that I post on something else um okay wait so what dreams do what role do dreams play in my life? That was question number one, right? Yes, in your personal life, yeah. Personal life? Um, I'm very, I'm not someone who's like very compelled by like the dreams that I have when I sleep. My dreams tend to be very odd and very like, they're very nonsense based. Um, But I will say that I am a person who is like very inhabited by daydreams. Um, And I, I am constantly in a state of daydream. Like half in, half out, much like Kane. Like I'm always thinking about like the way something could have gone, the way that something well, like might go. Um, and I'm forever sort of projecting into like different versions of the future. Um, and that's like exhausting. I, I don't feel like I'm a person who really lives in the moment. Oftentimes it takes a lot to kind of get me to sit still and focus because I'm always daydreaming about like something else, what could be. Um, and that was, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to kind of connect that type of um, that habit with like a chronic version of like escapism where you only think about what things could be and you never really think about like what's in front of you and how to sort of tackle that. And so a thing that I had to learn and the thing that actually Kane learned sort of in Reverie is that like dreaming is fine, but if it distracts you from the reality that you could be improving for yourself and for other people, then you've got to, you've got to do something about it. Um, and so, you know, I now like to think of, so I, I now think I'm someone who, you know, does something about it. Um, but for a long time, I think that it was, it was sort of hard for me to kind of get out of that dream space in, into reality, but kind of keep the dreaminess with me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. 
What if we said no? We're like, try again. We're like, no, it doesn't. I would I would have said, all right, well, well, there was like six other questions in that question. So I'm ready for the next one. What was the what was the other one? I feel like I only answered half of the question. Oh, um, what was your most powerful dream? Or like, I guess most visceral, I suppose that powerful can mean a lot of things, but mm, yeah. Um, I mostly have dreams about like my teeth falling out because I'm an anxious mess of a person. So we talked about this that, last time. That, that's probably like not my most powerful, but my most present. <laughs> so I think about that all the time. And it's like a disgusting, horrible dream. And so we're not gonna go into details about it, but yeah, that's that's probably it. If I had to go with daydreams, which are a much more powerful force for me. I often spend a lot of time, um, when I was younger at least, and this has sort of come to fruition, but I used to dream about the person that I wanted to become because I knew that I wasn't that person yet. Um, And I would look at like queer people in media and this is why representation is so important. And I would be like, that's what I want for myself. Like I want to be powerful and I want to be like deeply in the pocket of my own identity and, you know, um, not feel like hindered by like my flamboyance and things like that. And so I always used to dream about the person that I wanted to become and then task of becoming that person and I'm still sort of on my way I'm still doing that but like you know being able to do stuff like this and not feel self-conscious about it um is kind of part of that so yeah that's probably the dream that powers me to do things if that answers your question I think that's something I mean speaking for myself I feel like all of us probably go through is sort of knowing who we want to be and also knowing we're not there yet and trying to figure out how to get to that next place. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Like, and being able to kind of connect the dots, it's actually much like revising a book. When people ask me like for my revising tips, I always tell them like, sit down with the book that you have, but then like put it away and write about the book that you want to have written. Like mm-hmm. in 10 years when people are interviewing about this book, what do you want to have said about like what it says about the moment that it was written in? Um, and oftentimes people will sort of write these, you know, beautiful tributes to themselves and they'll realize, oh, there's a lot between the reality of this and sort of the dream of it. How do you connect those two things? And mm-hmm. that's a huge part of like my writing life. It's a huge part of my personal life as well. Um, I don't want this one to get lost in the shuffle. I scrolled down and it's a really, really good question. Almost made me cry. So sorry in advance. I don't want your, um, you know, your makeup to run, but uh, what advice would you give for young queer authors for some stepping out into the world with their beautiful pride colors flying is a scary thing. I was just wondering if you ever had thoughts of what the world would think of your heart and mind, which you put into the world. Signed, a young queer author who is afraid to step out into the world. P.S. Your drag looks beautiful and a bunch of hearts. Oh, thank you. Um, even though that last part's a lie, <laughs> I am going to answer this sincerely. And I'm glad that I didn't do my eyeliner yet because I probably will <laughs> start crying. Um, look, I think that there is a lot and perhaps too much emphasis put on coming out and pride, right? And pride as we conceive it as like a big display of who you are. The fact of the matter is, is if you don't feel ready to be, you know, that person publicly yet, that's okay. I mean, oftentimes your instincts are telling you something about your environment and telling you, you know, survive instead, right? Like if you can't be your authentic self, then um, maybe look at why you're feeling that way. Don't feel like you have to push past that to, to just sort of embody this like prideful attitude. You know, um, there's a lot to be said about taking confidence in who you are, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to kind of perform that constantly. As for, you know, the future though, there's so much beautiful, wonderful stuff waiting for queer people. And it sucks, sucks, sucks that like there are barriers put in the way of people that only want to live and sort of create beauty. And that's actually a big reason why like 
I try to make myself as publicly available as possible. I don't like the idea of being this like remote author somewhere in an ivory tower, typing away my stories and throwing them down to, you know, people that read them. I like doing events like this. I like talking to readers and I like asking them what they're working on because, you know, a hard thing to sort of internalize when you've been told no and not yet a lot is, um, that there's actually a huge demand for the things that you're writing. Um, they're hugely helpful. I'm telling you this as someone who for a long time sort of sat on the story and was like, no one's really gonna want this like wacky story about a drag queen. Like it's just not, you know, to the market. And um, I was so lucky that people had come before me and sort of caused the industry to turn a corner early enough that by the time I was ready with my own story, uh, people wanted it, people were ready for it. And I'm talking like publishers and agents saw the actual value in it. And that's, that's a huge like, you know, benefit to me and if I can pass it along to the next person I will and I will also pass along that like you know if you're if you're waiting for someone to tell you to do the job of writing your own story I'm telling you right now I want it there is plenty of space up here for all types of voices and you know I'm not even telling you to do it I'm asking I'm asking all right I'm begging you to write this because um you know I would like to read it so that's one person asking and uh and you can be sure that there's many many more there are so many questions I'm trying to scroll through. Yeah, there's are, a lot of really good ones. You guys are all amazing. These are really uh, yeah, thank you guys for asking such great questions. Um, while we're scrolling, I'll just ask one that I've seen like eight times. Um, is there, are there any plans for this to become a movie or a television show? Oh, I love that question. So um, yeah, I'll tell you guys the truth. I have a film agent. Um, and I'm working with um, some producers right now. And the way that Hollywood works is that it's very slow and like then suddenly rambunctious. And so right now, no, there's no real formed plan for this, but um, but the, the group of people in Hollywood that really like Reverie is slowly growing. And, um, and honestly, like enthusiasm from readers like goes a long way. So if that's something that you're interested in, um, I mean, hopefully I'll be able to answer that with like a big yes at some point, um, but right now, there's stuff in the works, but nothing concrete. Um, I will say though, my dream for this is that eventually it gets picked up to be some sort of like episodic, you know, in the vein of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like something like The Magician's Words, like a show with multiple episodes. Cause I think that the reveries themselves sort of lend themselves to like an episodic format. That's kind of how I wrote it with that in mind. And so, um, and I think that's kind of helpful, right? Like, I think that that's what some people look for. So yeah, it's a big question mark to me even, but um, but thank you for asking. I mean, we certainly hope. Uh, this is a question that I'm actually wondering too, it's coming from um, one of our uh, anonymous people. What's the green thing behind you? Okay. This is a giant anglerfish costume that I made for a Halloween party. Um, that was deep sea themed. Um, and as you guys may or may not know, I love arts and crafts and costumes. And, um, and this was, a, a costume that I made like the night before. Um, I love the female anglerfish. There's a whole chapter in Reverie called the female anglerfish. Um, and that's because I just happened like Posey to know a lot about this one particular creature. It's a fascinating animal. Um, and the fun fact is from Reverie, and this is the thing that later I actually learned it while making this costume is that the female anglerfish evolved a dark lining to its digestive tract to um, make sure that the consumption of iridescent morsels in like the abyss where it's really dark wouldn't reveal it from the inside out. Um, and Posey tells Kane this, and this is what Posey's plan is. I don't know if anyone picked that up, but Posey's actual plan for sort of like entrapping Kane within like a Reverie in order to like, you know, 
uh, manipulate him is very much what she tells him about that, uh, that fish at the very beginning. So I have a lot of love for that animal. And this is my sexy angler fish costume. Usually I wear it with like thigh high patent leather heels, um, but I'm not going to put those on for today. That would be quite a lot for a, uh, for, for 2.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever, um, it's fine. Uh, Sydney, if, or Sydney or Lisa, if you guys want to open up the chat for people over the next couple minutes, if you want to put any dreams that you have had recently, um, we'll let Jill and Ryan, I'll read those and uh, I'll let Jill and Ryan, you know, kind of this is their thing with us. I cannot wait. I cannot yeah. wait. <laughs> okay. And Sydney just put dream chats only and I'm laughing that that's definitely not going to happen. While we're waiting for those to come, I just want to give you another just very sweet message. This is from Jax that came at the beginning. Uh, I love the story and as a closeted trans, I wish I could be bi and not be judged by my family. So I kind of went into just making my NaNoWriMo an LGBTQIA friendly story. You're a huge inspiration of mine and I loved drawing your characters. Oh, thank you, baby. I love that. And you know what? Like you participating in NaNoWriMo, so National Novel Writing Month for anyone that doesn't know, that's huge. Oftentimes helping other people is a great way to help yourself. And I hope, you know, for all the work that you're doing for other people and sort of being visible for them, I hope it comes back to you tenfold, right? Like I really wish that for anybody that's taking the time to create art for their community. I think it's a wonderful thing to do and it's never in vain. So thank you, sweetie. Okay, so... Oh goodness, there's so many of these. You guys have your, um... oh, okay, this is a good one. <laughs> oh no. I had a dream that my whole family, uh, whenever I touched them, turned into cockroaches. I was so scared. Oh God, I, like King Midas, but with cockroaches? It seems that way, yes. That sounds terrible. Oh my God, that, that's, that is completely horrifying. Um, Jill, should we draw a card and interpret it? Good. I have my deck. I don't have it shuffled, so I'm shuffling it now. Um, while you're doing your your makeup, I won't make you try and. Yeah, don't make you. I'm putting graphic lip liner on. Um, okay, so we're shuffling with. You have to set your intention when you do tarot, guys. You set your intention, and you try to think through what the querent is asking. So. We'll see what the we'll see what the angels or you know whatever spirits you believe have to say about this. I, I have a few opinions myself, but I want to see what the card says. While you're shuffling, uh, Jill, somebody wrote clearly the cockroach dream is a Kafkaesque commentary on our world right now. Not wrong, not wrong. Oh my goodness. Do we just want to pull one card? Do you think or? Yeah, let's pull one card. Someone said I dream about being a hot dog. Oh my God, this is my favorite chat I've ever looked at while you guys are doing this. Incredible. This is so good. This is good because I need to put on my lashes, which is going to take all my cunning. So, Jill, pull a card and we'll interpret it. All right. What do we got here? Card is. It's the High Priestess. Um, Ooh. That is an interesting. Yeah. So, High Priestess is all about like. I should say I'm using the um the way home tarot deck which actually um our friend Sydney who's been helping us uh she gave this to me as a as a present so welcome I love you (laughs) so that high priestess is all sort of about like intuition and like following your intuition and what else I have my little notebook I'm sort of a nerd about things um illusions and intuition was she right side up she was right side up yeah okay all right Um, so 
I think that the high priest is, is telling you that there is an illusion among you and that you need to see it in that um, you feel like your touch is turning people into bugs um, because um, there are things, there are illusions skittering around you beneath the surface of your relationships. And you're trying to reveal those with your touch. So you're touching anything willy nilly, but you need to, you maybe need to assess some close relationships and you need to find those roaches and stomp them out. That's what my interpretation is. Steve is way better at this than I am. That's okay. You're pulling the cards. No, I'm like, I'm like, Jill, I like 10 for a minutes living. to think about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have 10 minutes to think about it. Um, like, I, my, my whole, I like lie for a living. So you, you should be. Okay. I, all right. So, oh my gosh, you guys are having some wild. Okay. I had a dream where two giant M&Ms had laser guns. And if you sat still, they couldn't see you. Then they killed my whole family. Oh my gosh. Wow. Are we okay. going to get sued? Um, I, I don't think the M&M's brand is checking in. I think we're okay. Okay. Um, so to recap, two giant M&M's with laser guns. And if you sat still, they couldn't see you, but then they killed their whole family. Also, I'm looking like Liza Minnelli over here. Liza! Um, what's the card, Jill? I'm shuffling constantly. Oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, you have the hard job as I put literal Elmer's glue, glitter glue in my eyebrows. Yeah, let's let's take some time for you, Jill. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Okay, so I, what I don't actually have to do this. I could make you shuffle while applying your sparkly. <laughs> That's glue. true. That's true. I should be I should be so lucky. <laughs> All right. Eminem, like Jurassic Park T-Rex. Can't see you. You're not moving. While well, Jill's shuffling, you guys weird reference all know that Ryan has a new book coming out in January. It's called Bedazzled, and it's all about cosplay, and it's wonderful. And I'm holding it up while while Jill shuffles. I'm marketing for Ryan because he's doing his own thing right now. So yeah, for anybody who wants to know what it's about, and I'm gonna I'm switching to using my computer. I'm also now gluing moss to my eyebrows, just in case you were wondering. Um, Bedazzled is a book about cosplay. It's about a cosplay competition. And the, our main character, his name is Raffi. He's a young uh, teen arts and crafts prodigy who's basically entering this cosplay competition to prove to his like high art mother that his art like is actual art. She doesn't think it is. She doesn't like anything pop culture. Um, but when he gets to the cosplay competition, none other than his ex-boyfriend shows up as his main competition. Mm. And then the story goes back in time and we learn about how him and Luca met one another we watched it all fall apart as well as they're competing against one another in this like maniacal arts and crafts like cosplay competition. So if you like this, <laughs> you might like be dazzled. Um, but it's not a sequel to Reverie and it's actually, it's actually like a rom-com, um, but it is very fantastical because it takes place in like cons which are completely fantastical. As of right now, they don't exist. So it might as well be a fantasy. I can confirm it's great. I finished it this week, just saying. Okay, Jill, pull the card for our giant M&M's. No, no, I got yeah. it. I just want to say I'm very impressed with Ryan's wingtip uh, eyeliner. Thank you. Thank I, you. Wow, I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, okay, we have the two of swords. So, Ooh, yes. a decision. Also upright, yes, a decision. So I feel like, you know, if the M&M's... Um, it's probably a question of like, maybe you feel stuck and you know you don't wanna move forward because you're afraid something bad might happen, which is clearly what is happening with the M&Ms. Um, 
you know, but like sometimes it feels like you're stuck in a place mm-hmm. where you, you have a big choice to make and people might get hurt depending on what choice you make if you move forward with something. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. What do we have advice for them? Should they move forward or should they stand their ground or what to avoid M&Ms? I mean, what happens? What do they do? I don't, that's a good question. Um, okay, well, I, I pulled a clarifying card. Oh, good. Well, wow. I'm, you know I will doing. say this. The card, okay, if you are not familiar with tarot, do not freak out about the card I'm about to show you. Is it the tower? Uh, it's the tower. No, it's death. Oh, it's death. <laughs> Now, death, we should not be laughing, <laughs> just like given the context of what is, you know, the dream is about. So the death is not necessarily literal death. I usually don't believe that it's literal death, but the death card usually signifies a ending of some variety, um, uh, a change, you know, um, like a, something must end in order for uh something new to start this version of this card I love um because it's hard to see but it's like a it's like a little baby deer and um the poor thing has died clearly but it's You're doing a great job Jill. no no, no <laughs> show me here just go with me but it's going back into the earth right and so it is feeding the flowers it is feeding the the grass and the ground and new growth will come from this um this death, unfortunately. And so I think if you're stuck in these two choices and you know that if you make one choice, something bad might happen, it might not be as bad as you think because it might be something necessary that has to happen in order for change to come. I, I agree with that 100%. I 100% agree in like the necessary change of things, the death of things of, you know, of times or eras um, is good. So I think I say, I say go. You may learn something good from the change that is ahead of yeah. you. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Good change. Brian, Brian, how much time do you want to do your reverie at the end? Oh, I only need like 10 minutes. Okay. All right. So I'm, and I'm almost there as well. I just have to throw. Oh, no, you're fine. I just want to, I, I want to do one more of these um, because it's hilarious. And... <laughs> great, thanks. <laughs> and I yeah, don't we're know. We're doing great. <laughs> But but then we'll uh, in a second here I'll I'll ask for some tropes. So okay, I I we have I have two that I will let you guys choose from. Okay, so the first one is I also had a I had another dream that a ghost was pulling me towards my closet, but I was screaming, "Stop boiling the ice cream!" So that's the first one. Yeah, and then the second dream is when I was little, I had a dream that large animatronic and furry versions of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger menacingly burned down my house. So do we want stop boiling the ice cream and a ghost or do we want animatronic uh, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger burning down a house? Well, the animatronic one sounds like maybe a vision of the future. So I'm going to tell you to run for that one. Let's okay. do the let's do the the ghost and the boiling of the ice cream. Okay, a ghost was pulling me towards my closet, but I was screaming, stop boiling the ice cream. Okay. And while Jill is shuffling, um, Sydney and Lisa, if you want to open the chat back up, if everyone wants to send us their fantasy tropes that they love or hate or whatever, then yeah. I will, I'll grab a couple of for Ryan to put his reverie together in just a moment. Oh. 
silence of shuffling the cards. Sorry. Um, no, no, there's. So if anyone's wondering what I'm doing, I am uh, slowly putting some liquid eyeliner on the middle. I'm, this is this is coming together. This, it, it, this could be a lot worse. I'm just letting you know, it doesn't, it's not good, but it could be a lot worse. And I just want everyone to, when they look back upon this, remember what I did for you, this almost poked my eye out on a Zoom meeting with liquid <laughs> eyeliner. Okay. Oh man, you guys have all hit a lot of tropes that I also love and hate. This is incredible. <laughs> all right. So for ice cream in the closet, uh, no, ghost pulling to the closet, the ice cream. We have um, this card is Father of Pentacles, but it's the King of Pentacles. Um, interesting card for this. The King of Pentacles. He, he's like, like, the Pentacles has to do with like worldly possessions. Yeah. And, he's like the uh, ultimate kind of like high level got it all together kind of yeah maybe maybe your assets are at risk maybe the ghost is something from your past is um is threatening a treat that you've promised yourself you know like the ice cream but like this ghost is like no you need to come see it's because like something's boiling um so like and i'm thinking like a ghost of like christmas future type mm -hmm, of situation, mm -hmm. right like it's a ghost from time in general and so um even like you are you are being told to reassess some assets or the things that you have determined to be stable in your life they're actually at risk and in order to achieve this this king uh this king status you gotta maybe do a little bit more reassurance that the things that you have are actually stable Oh, I like it. There we go. <laughs> that works for me. I like it. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to try to give you some of these tropes. Also, um, one of these wasn't even a trope. It just said, uh, where, where, where did it go? I think it said, if Posey was real, I would have a crush on them or something. It was, oh okay, my I, God. I lost it. And yeah. Justice for Posey. Poor Posey. Like, I actually think that Posey had a lot of really good points, despite being like yeah. a a cool lady by the way um if you thought this was the end of the look you're wrong because i actually oh okay well i assumed i actually. assumed there was a costume okay so are you ready for me to give you some of these um yeah let's start out with a okay yeah just throw them at me and we'll we'll make this reverie work okay so we've got a reluctant hero okay a reluctant hero on a hero's journey yep um vampire Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. LGBTQ plus vampire. Let's, let's clarify. That was always a given. That was always a given. Um, well, this one just says David That's Tennant and Julian Anderson. By the way. Yeah. Well, you know what? We I, were making this on YouTube the other day. Yeah. Exactly. So the theme of this, I don't know if anyone gets the joke, but I thought it'd be funny if like I showed up in drag and instead of the big library, it was the bog library read. So that was the inspiration for this hat, which I made on YouTube earlier this week. I was say, I should have Delightful. stuck around. For okay, so a reluctant hero who's on a journey. Okay. Um, we've got cliffhanger. Okay. Um, vamp uh, LGBTQ vampires. Oh my God. These are so hard to scroll through. Um, we have, do we have a problem? Do we have a goal? We've got to do, we have okay, to so how about, I wrote down a few of it for us. Um, he's got a, uh, they, sorry, it can, it can be anyone. Um, they are looking for a yeah. powerful artifact. So a dark crystal or a crown or a magic ring. Mm, okay. Um, and then do we, we've got vampires. Do we need a 
do you want a villain or do you want the vampires to be the villain? No, 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 that's good, that's good. Okay, so we've got a, we've got a vampire. Um, I feel like vampire tales are often always like, they have to do with like how someone was turned, right? That's like, it's always like this like trauma that is forever unpacked by vampires. So what if, what if this vampire doesn't know what turned them and they're after a mysterious artifact that can like help, it's like, let's say we'll make it like a mirror or something and it's gonna, it's gonna tell them how like it's basically going to show them like a reflection of their past right like and that's gonna for whatever reason solve the mystery of how they turn into a vampire and if this was a reverie let's see so we'd show up i think it'd be very funny to make um elliot the vampire because elliot is like not this like graceful little person he's like kind of like the clumsiest of them and vampires are very graceful so i think he would have a very hard time blending into that role i think adeline would be fantastic at it as sort of like the um, the like vixen vampire, right? There's always like the vampire that like knows what she's doing and is like on top of it. That's what I'd cast that as. Um, Ursula, clearly the damsel in distress, clearly like the ingenue who like, it's for whatever reason, like the fixation of the vampire. If the vampire is queer, I think for, oh, a queer identity for a vampire, that would be great. Because vampires oftentimes are laden with just like all this like really heteronormative dynamics. Mm -hmm. So what if instead of that, um, we gave like I would love I would love an ace vampire I would love a vampire that wasn't just like absolutely like dripping with like you know all of this like you know lust for for humans and for blood like I think a, I think an interpretation of like vampiricism without that layer over it would be really interesting oh I love that maybe I'll write this I don't know if you ever read like interview with a vampire like it's very that it's like very much like about like lust and things like that too so I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with some good ace representation. Um, we'll, you know, we'll make them arrow as well, uh, and uh, and I want to see what a vampire is able to get up to when they're only concerned with unpacking, you know, the origin of their own vampire story, so that they can, you know, what maybe their goal is, they want to know who they were, so they can see who they left behind because they have like mm -hmm. memories of these people, but they don't know who they are, and they want to go and then meet their grandchildren. Wouldn't that be a lovely resolve if finally they're able to go meet like yeah. not their grandchildren, but like the descendants basically of like the family they had to leave behind because they're immortal? I think that'd be really lovely. I, I love the idea of a vampire who has been a vampire for so long that they no longer remember when they were turned, and so it's almost mm -hmm. like, mm. um, it's almost like the the hero's journey is sort of like the this is a horrible way to do it like the national like the movie national treasure where they're like they're going on an adventure or like um carry on and wayward son by rainbow Rowell, where like the vampires they're going through like on a quest to figure out like from spot to spot um almost like american gods by neil gaiman but it's a vampire trying to figure out where they came from you look so good you look so good right now you guys get it it's a it's a lily pad <laughs> thank you it's falling apart on top of my head as we speak do you see this yeah it, it kind of ties into one of the characters from bedazzled's first cosplay it a does bit. it does that's why that well that's why i reached for these materials i was like you know what like i absolutely want to make something like floral and plant themed so yeah no this is uh this could this could be this would not rank very well at the uh tripsy the uh the competition, no. competition that's in that book, but I, I would definitely show up and feel proud to wear this. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, okay, so we have a few minutes left. Ryan, do you have closing remarks or things that you would like people to, to know or just all that good stuff? Mm, um, well, if you want actual like queer vampire stories, Vampires Never Get Old, which is an anthropology, or an, an, anthology that came out, I think somewhat recently, like a, like a 
few weeks ago, but like Zoraida yeah. Cordova mm-hmm. written something for it, um, mm-hmm. B.E. Schwab, um, great representation in there. So if you liked our improvised reverie and if you want to learn more about like the modern day vampire, check that out. Um, also, Victoria Schwab has a show coming out that is about vampires as well, which I'm super looking forward to, also queer. So a lot mm-hmm. of really cool stuff coming out. Um, as for closing remarks, you know, honestly, thank you guys for for running this. And also thank you for everyone for, for showing up. It's like such a cool thing to still be able to like meet and talk about books and stories and like do, you know, garbage like this. Like I, I look forward to this stuff, I live for it. I actually have an event later today that's like not a public book club. So I've got to go scrub all this off of my face before <laughs> to like a room full of like booksellers. But you know, that's between me and the next two hours. Um, but I'm just so, I'm just so grateful that people have like found this book and really love it. and. Um, and I'm also grateful for the people that like are perplexed by it and still finish it and like have a lot of questions and thoughts. Cause you know, I wrote a book cause I wanted people to think about it and I didn't want it to necessarily be this like super accessible situation. I wanted people to actually sit with the content and think through it and how it applies to like our world. So it means a ton to be able to talk about it and to talk to people about it and to answer questions and that kind of dialogue and that kind of engagement um, is a huge part of why I write. So thank you, thank you everyone. Um, and one last thing, uh, I hope that everyone pre-orders my next book be dazzled if you had a fun time watching this stream and if uh if you like costumes and cosplay and anime and comics um and if you love like a lovers to enemies to lovers trope situation like this is the the book for you um it's my second book it's uh it's not sort of the big glitzy production that reverie is but i absolutely love it and uh, it actually just got a starred review from publishers weekly so that's like book list so i'm celebrating that i got the news like right before this um and uh, i cannot wait for people to to read this it's a totally different type of book out of me so um a lot of plot twists ahead but yeah mostly thank you thank you everyone yeah, I'll just add to that. I, I will say while the theme of the book is, well, not the theme, but like the style of the book might be entirely different. The through line is that the writing is, and your writing is so fun. And like, it's just, even in like the highest stakes of um, Reverie and then like these competitions with Thurman Bedazzle, it's always a very Ryan Lasala book and they're fantastic. So thank you for writing these stories. They're amazing. Well, thank you for reading them. And thank you for having me. I, this is so, this is so much fun. We must do it again. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.